Hello, welcome to Unbiased with me, Darshi Harindra. I help organizations rethink how they use data and new technologies in a compliant, unbiased, and inclusive way. I'm on a mission to rehumanize technology so that we can max out on all the potential benefits it brings whilst keeping people very much at the center of its oversight and success. Now, this podcast is very much centered on the human side of the equity and inclusion equation. Through guests sharing their stories of how bias has affected and continues to affect their day-to-day lives, we can get a glimpse into the beautifully complex fabric interwoven into our communities. And we can learn about some of their work in trying to address or combat the ill effects of some of those biases. Hi everyone, I'm here on my own today. Whenever I come on this on my own, it's usually to address some of my own biases that I acknowledged, continue to acknowledge the work I've needed to do and continually do to address them as a leader. There's been a lot going on over the last few months um, in that world and Having this podcast as an opportunity to share some of those has been a real privilege. So today I want to talk about belonging and cognitive diversity, something that just isn't addressed enough in my view. Um, When I'm referring to cognitive diversity, it's considering diversity outside the remits of protected categories, underrepresented groups and, you know, demographic diversity, age, gender, race, etc., and really moving to diversity in the way people think, conduct themselves, solve problems, particularly in the workplace scenario. And why am I spotlighting this now? Well, my worlds of DEI and law have combined of late as I've delved deeper into addressing DEI in law firms. It's been a while since I worked in one and a long while since I started out, but I have been struck at times at how difficult it can be to adopt the mindsets needed to embrace different ways of doing things. And it's made me reflect on my earlier experiences, my evolution as a lawyer and a human. Back when I started this podcast, I shared my first experiences starting my graduate job in a corporate law firm and how great it felt because the environment I was in and the community I was building sat squarely within all of the labels I self-identified with and yearned to keep a hold of to avoid any complexity and blurring of lines. The story I share today is from a long time ago It was one that reminded me so strongly of the sense of belonging that I felt 
but why many of us will now know that to be problematic 18 years on, but one that hasn't changed a whole heap since 2006. It's when I moved to London, city of my dreams, it lived up to all my expectations at that time. It remains my favorite city in the world. I moved there to start law school with fellow graduates who are all employed for our first two years of training by the same law firm. So I was studying with peers that would be my colleagues for at least two years after study. And boy, did I find my people. I, I was actually one of few that didn't know many of them before I started. A lot of them had already known each other from summer vacation placements taken in the year or two beforehand. But I threw myself in and I found acceptance really easily. I 100% felt at that time like I belonged. I think for the first time in my life, I have some friends from law school today that are still closer to me than friends I'd made through university. And That is just so intoxicating. We know how much belonging is such an important part to just how humans have succeeded and thrived as a species. And here I am, you know, going from, in many instances, being one of the only of something. You know, I went from being the only morning person I knew from my hometown and uni friends to finding a whole host of people to join me for an early morning spin class or a run. We were driven, nerdy, kind of owned it, fun. We laughed a lot. We took a lot of things seriously, opinionated, a mix of extroverts, ambiverts, introverts, but could all find that niche we connected so well because we all thought of ourselves as unique individuals being brought together through hiring practices that were centered around meritocracy and technical excellence. It was our uniqueness that made us perfect for the firm. Now, yes, we also came from very similar educational backgrounds, similar socioeconomic backgrounds, more or less, We were about to be taught in a very streamlined fashion, about to be trained to think like the lawyers our firm expected us to become. But we were otherwise relatively diverse culturally and had good gender balance. But right from that law school year, there was one particular incident or set of circumstances that made me realise we are absolutely not unique. Um, So partway through our law school year, um, as part of the course, we had to take a part in a a group mooting session, like a mock court session for disputes and litigation. Um, This was a commercial, not a criminal scenario. So we're talking, you know, a contract, two big companies, um, a claimant, you know, a company that's the suing party and the defendant, the company that's being sued over a particular set of facts. And it was a heavy cohort of our um, year. 
split into two teams for the claimant, for the defendant, and you're each presented with the same set of facts and figures, you know, about the profits you made, the losses you made, why you're suing, who the company is, what they do, what they're about, who are the key players, what is the contract, what is the dispute. And as part of playing this through to um, a mock courtroom situation with a facilitator and um, that facilitator who would play the judge in the scenario, we also had to first make um, a settlement offer. Because when it comes to litigation in the UK, first and foremost, we actually should be aiming to avoid taking something to court and all the, the costs and time and heartache that that bears. And actually, between lawyers and your client, come up with a reasonable offer that you would make as the claimant, as a, as a uh, defendant, sorry, or accept as the claimant. And so we had to do this, um, but for the purposes of the exercise, we would just sort of put that away in an envelope um, and maybe it would get revealed at the end of the day. So to come up with those offers, it means you had to really have a robust view of all those facts and the circumstances, all the numbers at play, and arrive at a figure that is reasonable enough, that won't be considered too low, that it's still worth parties going to court over, not too high, that one the, the party paying out that amount isn't going to feel too aggrieved and say, then we should also go to court. There are a lot, a lot of nuance in play there's the facts, there's strategy, there's the uncertainty of le the legal proceedings that will follow. That all comes to putting this little figure on a piece of paper that we see in like suits getting passed across the table. For our purposes, it's put away. And right at the end of the day, the judge did say, let's just see if the interests of this exercise, you know, what you would have offered. Um, and we can look at that in the light of whatever we arrived at at the end of the, the court session. I can't remember much about how that court session went down, but I really do remember so, so vividly the facilitator opening those two envelopes, putting those two pieces of paper together and sharing that they were exactly the same figure. And we're not even talking like a hundred thousand pounds or you know a million pounds. It was like a very specific, you know, £47,350 from both sides. And it was, at the time, I think most people definitely were definitely surprised, definitely got a gasp, probably largely because we thought, oh, well, you know, the system can work. We're such effective lawyers. We can actually settle all this stuff before going to court. How great are we? Um, I don't know to what extent other people were at all as freaked out as I was right then because it was that real slap in the face that we clearly all thought in exactly the same way. We all viewed a certain fact and made a judgment in exactly the same way that this would either work in our favour or against us. And we took the figures that were in front of us and weighed them up into what we should keep and what we should give away, all using a clearly exactly the same methodology to get to that exact same number. And what I was honestly feeling, though, at the time, which I now know to be problematic, is I thought this was amazing. 
I thought, how great, I've definitely found my people. This firm is the one for me because I'm surrounded by people that think exactly the same way as me. I belong. I have no reason to ever leave an organization like this if this is the people that I get to be with day in, day out. And this was a big corporate law firm where we were doing those all-nighter hours in the early days. But now today, so that was 2006, and you think, right, we know now that belonging is not about finding an organization that's just full of people like you so that you can feel like you belong. Belonging is being able to have that same level of intoxication in such a positive way that I felt back in 2006, regardless of who you are and notwithstanding a multitude of different lived and learned experiences and ways of working and ways of thinking. We're slowly moving to really understand the difference between a culture ad when hiring and a culture fit and how we should be really focusing on the culture ad. But from what I'm seeing right now, the level and degrees of cognitive diversity, particularly in the professional services firms and the law firms that I speak to, aren't differing as wildly as I would have thought they would be 18 years on from that first experience. And that's problematic both from a DEI perspective, but also from a business perspective and from a growth perspective because I've been having a lot of conversations that throw around the, the term innovation, disruption, being, needing to be ready for whatever the future holds, acknowledging that right now we're being hit by all kinds of different disrupting factors from you know, changing value systems of the new generation to technology, to living in a post-COVID, post-pandemic world. And without having different voices in the room, that's not gonna change. Now, what happened to me as I went later on, now I was really late to the party seeing the, the Barbie movie, but if I can liken it to Margot Robbie's Barbie, you suddenly reach this point in time in your career where I was, having those equivalents to um, intrusive thoughts of death, of going, oh, I know exactly what I should be saying in this moment. I know exactly what everyone else is wanting me to say in this moment. I actually think something quite different, but I'm not going to share that because that's going to be considered out there. That will disrupt my sense of belonging in this group. And that is why cognitive diversity is so important. I'm very conscious of when I advocate for cultural diversity in leadership as someone with lived experience as a second generation immigrant, that whilst I share those lived experiences and want that space for my diversity to be able to shine through that the reason I've succeeded in many of these organizations is because I come from a privileged upbringing. I 
speak the way I speak. I have studied in elite universities. I've been amongst groups of colleagues who all share similar socioeconomic backgrounds. And therefore, I've been able to thrive not because I've come from a diverse cultural lived experience, but because I have lacked in some instances the cognitive diversity or I have matched the level of cognitive thinking of my peers. And what does that mean in the business sense? It means that you're basically sort of at the helm of your ship and you're looking out through a really narrow, narrow lens with no peripheral vision of whatever tornado or disruptor that is coming hurtling towards you and you have no one waving you down outside of that peripheral vision to say look behind you it's it's over there and whether it's four-day work week hybrid working having to have eight hours of back-to-back meetings to prove your worth feeling like you have to agree with your boss or face alienation without cognitive diversity and other ways of thinking, we're not going to be able to shift those mindsets. Now, I've had conversations with colleagues and peers and people that have been in the DEI game for decades who have been trying to convince me we need to drop all these labels, we just need to focus on cognitive diversity, Um, to which my response had been, totally agree it's super important but surely the easiest way to get to that level of cognitive diversity is to hire people from all those different backgrounds to have a sense of diversity between age gender race disability sexual orientation etc because that should not necessarily bring about that cognitive diversity but my experience and, and the experiences I'm hearing even today in law firms suggest that that's not the case unless you actually actively take the way in which your brain functions and operates and you think and socialize ideas and communicate is different from every other person. And you can bring that to the table. So what am I trying to do about it right now? Right now, I've been leaning in so heavily to coaching, kind of really developing self-awareness, empathy, connection, and bringing things down to an individual and human level. Um, I'm going through my own continuous learning journey through getting ICF accreditation because I really believe that there is more cognitive diversity inside existing workforces than meets the eye. So in the first instance, it's seeking to unlock new perspectives or the locked up viewpoints or untapped potential and the confidence to share those differing thoughts in meetings or to clients and for their workforce to encourage their leaders to give them the benefit of the doubt to try something new and gain evidence before stopping someone simply because, oh, it's just not been done before, or it's just not how we do things here. So right now, I'm focusing on the individual and changing things from the inside out. And for leaders and hirers and managers, I really urge you to stop yourself before 
you reject an idea simply because you don't know any different or you haven't tried it before. And pause more to reflect on whether that necessarily needs to be the case. And in the absence of an absolutely foolproof, we know this works and therefore we have eliminated any other ways of doing things, which I think is very few and far between right now. When someone comes up with a slightly left field idea, give them the benefit of the doubt and give it a go. At least you'll know either way at the other end. And by encouraging that cognitive diversity, you get to, as leaders, the benefit of new ways of doing things, some of which just might hit gold. And you, in, by default, increase that sense of belonging. So unlock it in the people that you have and look for it in the people that you're hiring. That's my thoughts for today. Thanks, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbiased with me, Darshi Harindra. I derive so much energy and learn so much from speaking to such inspiring guests and amplifying diverse voices. If you feel the same way, please do subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you consume your content from and follow me and the podcast so you can get all the latest episodes as they drop. I'd also love to hear from you. What works for you? What do you like to hear more of? You can connect with me via my website, darshiharindra.com. Until next time, stay open, 